Right. Really good. Excellent. Let me, just, let, me, let me just show you something here, which I only just realised oh. as we were recording. So I'm going to take my camera off. I can't see what I'm doing here because I've moved the image around. Hang on a minute. Let's just move that out of the way. There you go. Can we see the screen? Oh, it's not looking at the screen. Still seeing the crew. Yeah, hang on a minute. Let me, I'm going to have to get rid of the uh, background. Otherwise, it's not going to show it. Settings. Right. So this is my screen at the moment. You can see you. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yourself. Okay. Um, so I've just bought a new uh, router. Oh. Oh, Archer. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I hadn't realised. It's, it's actually called the TP, uh, whatever it is, VR 2800. Um, but it's, it's also called the Archer, which I didn't realise. <laughs> That's very cool. So you're, yeah, you're being shown through the internet by Archer. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so did it have enough on effect? Yes, he, he invented the internet. He invented the internet. That's fine. Oh, that's timey-wimey stuff. That must have been a mission where you don't get to see. Uh, he goes back and invents the internet. So there we go. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay, right. Um, yeah, there's a lot more to talk about with this next one, so uh, it's going to be quite easy for us. Uh, okay. All right. Now I have to pretend I'm in a whole new headspace. All right. <laughs> yes, you love me. Complications at all, <laughs> no, have you? No, I haven't. So no. simple. Why did I do this to myself? Right. <clears throat> Space time. The ever expanding frontier. These are the records of the most needlessly complicated rewatch of the Star Trek franchise ever. Its mission to locate every second, contemplate every eon from outside time to the Big Bang, to the 20th century, all the way to the end of all existence. To do what no sane entity has ever done before. This is the Temporal Trek Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Temporal Trek Podcast. Yes, we are back and yes, we are still in Season 3. And we are in episode two. We are moving on from 2121 in our last episode to the year 2142. Just before the launch of the NX-01, there were, of course, some test flights to try and get from Warp 1 all the way up to a Warp 5 engine. But how did they do that? Well, we are going to look at some of the scenes from the season two, episode 24 Enterprise episode, First Flight. And we are going to be starting at timestamp six minutes and 22 seconds but as uh, i was joined last week i am joined again by paul wright hello paul how are you doing i'm very very well thank you Dan. good 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 um we won't uh, do any more introductions i won't uh, get you to tell the listeners who you are because we're actually recording this straight after the last episode not to let you in on how things are made in these podcast lands, uh, but uh, we are just recording straight from our previous episode, so we're going to go straight into it again. But feel free to go back to the last episode, listen to what Paul is saying, and uh, go and check out the Cosmic Pizza podcast, who he is a host for, and he's a very excellent host for, the only host for, if you were listening last week as well. Uh, and there's two other guys who just sort of turn up, uh, so it's fine. Right. Season 3, Episode 2, we've got our LCARS rating system, and the first one is locating the point in time, which is the year 2142. 
and we are there at 6 minutes 22 seconds and we see San Francisco uh, Archer comes into an office and we see a character we haven't met before we haven't actually seen in any of the other um, uh, episodes of Enterprise that we've seen before and we have uh, Admiral Forrest any thoughts Paul on Admiral Forrest as a character how you've seen him over the years uh, when you first saw him did you like the character? I did. I, I do like um, Admiral Forrest. I think he's a good, uh, good, strong character. Uh, he you know, takes no rubbish from the uh, from the Vulcans. He uh, he gives Archer a little bit of a lead, you know, to uh, to run off. And uh, yeah, he, he's firm but fair. Um, so it's um, yeah, I, I, I liked him, and I, um, I have seen him in a couple of other things. And as an as an actor, I think he's really good as well. Um, so yeah, I mean he's. I think he, he. If I'm right, I think he used to be in the army. Am I right in thinking that the the actor? So he's got that presence about him anyway. You know, he's he's got that sort of aura about him that he's a man in charge and he knows what he's talking about. So yeah, I liked him and I liked his. Uh, his he's one of those actors that never looks as though he's acting. Mm-hmm. He doesn't look as though he's reading words. He's just being you know a, the the character he is. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he's every every inch an, an admiral and and a, a a gadmiral, if we can say that. Not a badmiral. <laughs> yeah. He's a he's a good admiral. <laughs> There's very few of them, but I think we should give them a name. That's very true. Actually, yeah, yes. yeah. That that was that was something that was brand new for me. I mean, first time watching this episode when I first watched it years and years and years ago. You know, all admirals were bad. You couldn't trust them. You know, but just in this first scene. You can see he feels bad about giving the news that he eventually will give to to Archer uh, about how this test flight is going ahead, but it won't be Jonathan who's flying it. You know, uh, it's your father's engine, but you're not the one who's going to be testing it. And he really genuinely doesn't want to be saying this to to Jonathan. Um, You can tell he's a nice guy, and I like that. Um, And yes, uh, with the actor, of course, he, he actually looks a lot like a few Klingons I've met and I think um, uh, some other races as well. It's it's really weird seeing that face all over the place. But there we go. Maybe he's just got one of those faces. I think it's because they, you know, that everybody uh, in the galaxy has come from one species, haven't they? They, they spread the DNA around. So there's going to be some people who look the same, That's Klingons it. and you know, humans and what have you. That's so, it. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's a, there's quite a few times where that seems to happen. It just it seems that most of the aliens we meet look very similar to other aliens we've always met. So very strange. But there we go. Um, as far as the scene in general, though, uh, not just uh, with Forrest, we find out that A.G. Robinson has been picked to uh, test the first warp two um, uh, engine. So he's going to try it out first. It should have been Jonathan. Um, I kind of got vibes of the old Mercury space program of Shepard being picked over Glenn Grissom uh, and several other uh, astronauts who were just as qualified to have done the first test, but it was Shepard who eventually got it. Uh, did you sort of get those vibes as well? Uh, and this whole scene about you know Jonathan being left behind? Yes, I did. I, I was thinking. My first thought was, oh, this is just you know theatre for TV and and what have you. It's just playing two people off against each other. Of course, there's going to be you know, animosity and all that, but knowing a little bit about the space race as well, and and um, you say you're saying there about uh, Glenn. Um, the, so 
Yeah, so looking back at the at the NASA, the early NASA uh, spaceflights and, and all the test pilots that they were using there, you had Chuck Yeager, mm. who was the the guy who obviously yeah, you know, broke the sound barrier and, and all this type of thing. And uh, you had uh, Neil Armstrong, of course, who was the first man on the moon. And they absolutely hated each other. Chuck Yeager hated Armstrong. He said he was like, well, this weak little guy, the you know, test pilot, he's the only ever flown things. He's never been in the war, and Yeager was all like a you know, big macho guy and all this. So, of course, you know, um, Armstrong gets to go on the moon because Yeager doesn't like that. So, <laughs> yeah, you, you get that in real life. Um, you know, and, and I'm sure you can see it in Apollo 13 as well, if you watch the film Apollo 13, um, when one of the crew has to be pulled out. Um, Hayes has to get pulled out because he's the possibly he's got uh, chicken pox and he's absolutely gutted and he hates the fact that somebody else has taken his place you know and it's it's a true thing i mean it, it's you build yourself up you train all these years to get there and there's you know you, there's one or one of two of you that could go and you're both as good as each other and um there is a, 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 a we could see uh, why it's possibly why um, uh, Archer wasn't picked. So uh, yeah, yeah, it is. It is a real thing. Oh, uh, a minute! You just dropped out there for a second. Oh, I think you're back. Are you back? Yeah, my internet's all over the place. Yeah, my internet's all over the place at the minute. Ah, there we go. Now you're back in sync now. You went very slow, as if you were in a, a time loop or something. That was very strange. Apt yeah. for the program, obviously. I was, I was, uh, yeah, I was, I was watching my internet speed drop Ooh. and drop and drop. I thought, no, come back. There should be nobody else on the thing at the moment. Why am I not getting any decent speed? I'll, yeah. I'll blame it on the device. I'll, I'll write some little snippet of a scene or something before this, and uh, it'll just be, you know, the device is playing up for some reason. There we go. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it it felt genuine on this scene. It really felt genuine about how distraught uh, Archer was, not just because it is his father's engine, but because he had trained, because he put himself through all of those tests, and he just gets pipped to the post by his rival at the time, not his friend, uh, someone that he, just in the way he speaks about him back to Forrest in that scene, uh, you don't feel that there's any kind of love between the two men, that they, they really have a, an, a rivalry uh, over who is going to get to fly this engine. Um, and yeah, it, it, it rang true uh, from everything else that you sort of know from real space adventures uh, from the 20th century. Um, we see him drowning his sorrows in the next scene in the 602 Club, which again just felt like more of a parallel with the Mercury program the Apollo program with the Starlight Room, the Starlight Club uh, in Florida, you know, the, the place where the astronauts hang out and nobody else goes to. Uh, with Ruby, the waitress, who uh, is, uh, she obviously knows him very well because she can tell he's got a mood on, uh, that he wasn't as bad as when uh, this other girlfriend of his broke up with him and moved to the moon. I mean, when she when you get broken up with and she moves to the moon to get away from you, that's got to be a real kicker. Um, but anything more about this scene where we then get the confrontation between AJ and Jonathan, and you know they, they're saying, "Oh, I'll buy you a drink," but it really doesn't mean it. Yeah, you're right. It's it's um, it's a kick in the teeth for Archer, and you can see he absolutely he's 
gutted. He hates it. You know, it should have been him. His father, you know, obviously had a you know, great involvement in, in getting this flight in the first place. And he, he's, it's all through gritted teeth. He's saying all the right things. Um, but, uh, but there is a good, there is a, uh, quite a good point uh, made by AG where he says about, you know, he's, you've put in all the extra hours. You've done all of the, uh, the swatting and you've gone through all the manuals and you know them all backwards. Uh, but this ship needs a captain and not just a pilot. So it's, uh, you know, it, it, there's a bit of truth there that maybe he's been focusing on the wrong things. That maybe he doesn't have that, that captaincy part in him. So yeah, it was, uh, I thought that was actually quite a good point. Oh, slow internet again. I will let it catch up with itself. With uh, with the point, oh, we've got again. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think we've gone again. Actually, yeah. <laughs> we'll wait for it to come back. Oh, that speed. Oh, wow, you're 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 slowing down, and then you're speeding <laughs> up on my screen, and it's really interesting to watch. Yeah. I have to say. There you go. <laughs> it's like you're in a Peter Sellers sketch or something. It's really interesting <laughs> to watch. Um, uh, yeah. Oh, stupid, stupid thinking. <laughs> With the with the advice that AG gives, yes, I, I completely agree. He makes perfect sense. If you can, you can be the SWAT of the ages, and you still won't get that that position that just needs that little bit more risk taking. Um, but as AG, the character, did you like him? Did you trust him? Did you just think he was smarmy to the extreme? Uh, any thoughts on the character in general? I didn't think he was that bad. I didn't think he was that smarmy. He yeah he. he said a few things. He made the, the wrong, the mistake by saying about Archer's father and all this type of thing. So yeah, it was a bit, a bit naughty, but I don't think it was bad in any sense. I, you know, I think, uh, he was obviously lording it over him saying, oh, you know, the, the, the best man won, etc. But he, he didn't really sort of say too much. Archer was saying about, oh, you know, the best man won, just ask him, you know, and all this type of thing. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I actually quite liked him in that respect. I didn't think he was he was that bad. Thinking back to our previous episode where we were talking about um, the, you know, Jonathan and his father, and they were sharing this dislike of the Vulcans and being held back and things. Do you feel that it's a natural progression to what we now see of Jonathan that he was that book smart, that he was burying his, his head in the books, given that he was given that advice about not being afraid of the wind, you know, take a few chances. And yet he's not taking a few chances just, you know, 20 years later. Hmm. That is, that is a good point. Yeah. 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 I think you you're think right. That it kind of made sense that that, that, that characterization was there. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's quite possible. Yeah. Yeah. Because he was right up until that point, he was maybe playing it a bit safe and, and you know, swatting too much. And, and yeah, he should have taken the bull by the horns and, uh, and gone for it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that scene ends at 10 minutes and 4 seconds. We come back at 10 minutes and 56 seconds, where we're now starting to see uh, the mission control. We're actually seeing the test flight itself. Um, any thoughts on the set of mission control? And uh, also the costumes, the, the actual astronaut gear that AG is wearing inside the spacecraft. Yeah, unusual to see that. It's normally, um, yeah, they're just wearing the some sort of suit and the atmospheric thing is going to be you know, uh, you know all working well and but this to see them in a proper full helmet you know almost like a, 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 a eva suit a bit unusual because 
I, su- I suppose it's a test flight, so yes, it, w- it would be it would be that um, that way because you see the guys now in the, in the SpaceX um, things when they when they first get up and they're flying out to the the space station, yeah, they have all the gear on, they have all of the, the helmets and what have you, just in case there's a there's a problem and they, they do have to eject out of the out of the um, the, the ship. Um, but it just catches you a little bit off guard. Where, yeah, this is Star Trek. I mean, we were talking about first contact a while back. I mean. They didn't have helmets on for their first ship, did they? They, yeah, they were all in their clothes <laughs> they, and things. <laughs> they had to, you know, use all of the metal they had for the for the ship itself. You know, there was nothing left for a spacesuit. And uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm, you know, from what I've now learnt about Zephram Cochrane, I doubt he was that concerned about safety either. No, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe he just forgot. Maybe he was just too drunk to put the the suit on. It was actually in the back. He just forgot all about it. Yes. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Uh, I did wonder in the first uh, shot of the cockpit there is a seat next to A.G. Robinson that is completely empty and it made me again think of uh, First Contact where for some reason there are two seats behind uh, Zephyr Cochrane for some reason which uh, presumably were empty when he first took the flight and then were filled with two characters from uh, far in the future from the 24th century why is there a second seat in the cockpit and they've made this whole thing about how ag is the first one to go when clearly there's a two-man team that should be running this ship? yeah you got... <laughs> maybe it's for, for a, a lucky mascot you know you put, put a little teddy bear there or something <laughs> but, but you, if you can imagine um if the shuttle the space shuttle um you know, columbia when that first took off and then did its flight and landed again if it had just had the pilot, uh, Bob Crippen, well, what, what would have, what would the, what would the other seats have been for? And in <laughs> fact, there are another seven seats below. I mean, what, what, why were they there? Why would they be put there? I mean, it's just one person. Yeah. So they they actually had two. So they had the commander and the and the pilot. And obviously, if something happens to one person, then you have another person that can take over or whatever. But this this flight goes off with one person in it. You'd think you'd have somebody with him. Just in yeah. case something went wrong, and that maybe that will play into a, a future scene we're about to discuss as well. Um, but yes. uh, it just feels like there should have been some dummy or a mannequin sitting there with like sensors on <laughs> yeah. it of like you know we're testing what the co-pilot will go through, but we're just putting one pilot through for now, just in case anything goes wrong. Uh, you know, just to just to justify that there was this second seat, and they've had this whole argument about who gets to go first. Well, surely put both of them in there. You know, one of them's the co-pilot, one is the pilot, and, you know, if anything does go wrong, maybe the second guy can help you out. Um, it just seemed odd that they've had this whole conflict, and there's a whole empty seat sitting right next to A.G. Robinson. Well, that's right. I mean, yeah, you're down about 100 kilo. I mean, you know, there's, there's supposed to be somebody sat there with a suit on. And if you haven't got that, then can you actually, you know, will the ship react the same way? Yeah, if this is going to become second nature, why why is there an empty seat there? It just seems very, very strange. Um, yeah. As far as uh, mission control itself, I really like the idea that it was so small that when you do go to Florida, when you do see uh, the space program and all of the historical exhibits that are on show, the size of mission control for the Apollo missions is so vast. So I like the idea that because computer technology has moved on so much and that these are still experimental craft, so they must have experimental machines, the the room itself is so small. It's a tiny area, two or three people monitoring 
there's a couple of sneaky little Vulcans in the back keeping their eye on things, holding us back. Um, but the room itself is so small. You know, as a TV show, yeah, it makes sense because it's a nice budget, very small set you have to build. But it does kind of make sense that as technology is getting smaller, the mission control rooms would get smaller as well. So it just kind of it made sense to me. I don't know about you. Yeah, somebody wants to tell that to SpaceX. You see the size <laughs> of their room. It's still huge, yeah. <laughs> they have like three screens each, four screens each. <laughs> well, it's, it's for all the Apple engineers because there's so many tablets on their devices. You, know, you need at least six geniuses in the back, the Apple geniuses, who are just going to take you through all of the IT issues. Uh, you can't launch the uh, space rocket today. You have to update to Apple 10.3. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Sorry, we're just waiting for the latest update. It'll take um, it'll only take five minutes, ten minutes, three days, five minutes, thirty seconds, four years. No, we're, hang on, we're, we're nearly there. <laughs> the Wi-Fi is terrible, terrible on those rockets. Yeah. Um, we then get the flight itself, and AG is pushing it to the limit. Uh, things are starting to break up. There's a bit of a shake to the engine. Things are starting to tear, fall apart, but he keeps pushing. Now, uh, this is where it's going to get super nerdy. I timed this flight, so I'm trying to work out how fast is warp 2. Um, the first entry into light speed is at 12 minutes and 38 seconds on the episode. By 12 minutes 41 seconds, he's already up to 1.5 uh, in the warp speed uh, factors by 12 minutes 52 seconds so we're only 14 seconds time he's already got up to warp 2 and we see him drop out of warp at Jupiter now working out distances working out relationships and all this sort of thing that means that warp 2 is times 28 the speed of light that doesn't sound right to me that seems very very fast so no wonder things started breaking up but forgive my maths nerdiness, I had to work it out. It's one of those things that whenever I see uh, a movie, an action movie, where there's a bomb and there's five seconds before it detonates, how long have we got? And then five minutes later we come back to the scene and it's still only got five seconds on the bomb. It really annoys me when TV shows say there is this same set limit and now you know, we come back hours later and it's still the same amount of time or it's not the same amount of time uh, in real uh, life. Uh, any thoughts on just the whole scene and just ignore my nerdiness? I thought when he said, well, you know, we can go to something like 2.5 or whatever it was they said, I can't remember. It was a low number. And they said, yeah, Jupiter, what did they say, Neptune um, in six minutes or whatever. I was thinking, that's a bit slow. Six mm. minutes to get to Neptune. If you're traveling to warp two, and I, that's that's a lot, that's going to take you years and years and years to get across the you know, to the next star. That's that's ridiculous. <laughs> and then, uh, as you were then talking there about calculating speeds and things, um, they the I believe, and I would have to double check this, that the warp speed is not a constant acceleration. Mm. Uh, so warp two is not just double the speed of warp one and warp three is like three times the speed of warp one it's exponential so it's something like a hundred times or a thousand times more than the, the first warp so you soon ramp up very quickly so you know, to, to increase from two to or two and a half to three and a half is a big big you know ask you know, it's a that is a big amount of speed that you you pick up very quickly um so that would make more sense that by the time you get to warp seven or eight you are traveling you know across the galaxy and in days as it would probably be as opposed to you know, years or even decades or whatever so 
So yeah, but I, ha- I must admit I haven't gone through the the maths to work out <laughs> how that would. T- <laughs> I'm not, I'm not quite just... that mad. It was just one of those things. And, you know, I like to make things unnecessarily complicated. So I was just trying to work out the maths. And it just seemed a lot faster than what I thought Warp 2 was, that uh, 28 times the speed of light was was pretty fast, uh, even though, like you say, galactic terms, not very fast at all. Yeah, well, don't forget, uh, he was already halfway there when he when he started Warp 2. So you, you know... Got to factor a... in the distance already yeah. travelled as well. So, exactly, yeah. Yes. Incredible. Hmm. Uh, the whole scene ends at 14 minutes and 26 seconds as AG has ignored uh, the advice to eject and uh, to come out of warp. Uh, he pushes the engines too hard and the entire rocket explodes, but not before the module is docked uh, or the module is evacuated. What do you say? What would be the word? Uh, before the module exited yeah there we go there's a good word and we don't actually get a resolution as to what actually happened in the scene although we the audience see that the the pod moves forward and escapes the explosion um we don't actually get to see what happened to ag until 16 minutes and one second where we come back in and we get the dressing down from not only forest to uh, archer and to ag specifically ag for pushing the engine too hard but also the dressing down from the vulcans towards all of the humans in the scene and we get the introduction of the engineer trip um, we get uh, charles tucker the third who says there's nothing wrong with the engine any thoughts on this whole scene between uh, the vulcans and humans between all the humans with each other as well yeah, this was interesting. Where the, the you, know, you get to see this um, uh, manifest uh, of uh, the, the, the or the, you know, the belief that that everybody has about the Vulcans holding us back, and you know, the, as it's pointed out in the scene, it says, "Oh, that it's just an excuse for them to hold us back even further and, and um, what have you." So. Um, it's good that you see Trip come into the scene and and <laughs> say you could let these people talk to us like this. We're gonna, you know, we, we we've got to go. We've got to. You know, there's nothing wrong with the engines. Typical engineer. There's nothing wrong with the <laughs> engines, Captain. You know, it's, you know, it was uh, yeah, it was just lacking a Scottish accent there. But um, yeah, it was good. It was good. It was good. To, and we we get introduced to, to to the character. We all know the character. Obviously, he's been there, been around a while on the TV series, but. Um, this is season two, for goodness sake. So we all know he's there. But it's good to see how they first meet and how they become allies because they, they both believe in uh, the ship and they believe in the engines and they, they say it's all, you know, it, there's nothing wrong with us. We're being held back. We should be allowed to fly. Uh, you know, let us make our own mistakes and we'll learn by them type of thing. So it's it, it was a really good, it was a good scene. I think it was a, like a seminal point where everybody gets together. It's all against the Vulcans and we've got our, engineer and our captain ready to you know ready to go so yeah and and that friendship that instant sort of kindling of the friendship there uh leads on to another scene later on where he needs an ally and he's uh, he's got one in trip i i love the whole the whole scene between them and i love that the trip just pipes up because someone has spoken bad of the engine that he's fixing and all this sort of thing yeah makes perfect sense pride and everything um it put me in mind of all the uh the uh, ex-engineers who come in as volunteers at the dockyard the chatham dockyard to regular listeners uh where i work and uh they they come in and they fix up the ships and anyone who does anything wrong to the ships 
that's it they are they will talk to me for about half an hour about what they did wrong why they did wrong uh, it just puts me in mind of any engineer i have ever met around any ship or engine and they will not take any criticism of what they work on ever um but it was it was great time and it's the first time if i'm looking at all of enterprise thinking back to when i first saw the series that i really started to like trip um for season one and most of beginning of season two not my favorite character don't know why just took a dislike to that character just did not enjoy trip at all but seeing how he stood up for archer and you know his father's engine he's got no personal ties no family ties to this he's just working on it and because he loves it and because he sees that you know the humans were getting into trouble and he stood up for them um it it, it started the the very long road getting from there to here liking trip for me i will <laughs> say that um but uh speaking with the vulcans or speaking about what they say and how they're holding people back it seems odd that they have any jurisdiction at all over the program. I know that they want to hold humans back and say you're not ready, but it seems odd that they're on someone else's patch, someone else's territory, and they are they're not contributing anything. They're not even holding back any criticisms or anything. They are just saying you're not ready, so don't do it. They're not giving any, you know, specific reasons. It just seems odd that, you know, what if aliens landed pre-1969? and all of the lead up to the Apollo programs. It seems odd that they would have any reason to say, you can't go to the moon. No, you're not doing it right. That's not safe. You can't do this. Any thoughts on jurisdiction and why they have a leg to stand on? I don't think they do have a leg to stand on. Just because they found us first, and not and it wasn't the Klingons or the Andorians or somebody like that, they, they feel as though they've got to monitor us, and you know, it's, it's their responsibility to. You know, we, now, I, I get this. When, when we um, see in other series um, first contacts being made, and they say people saying, "Right, okay, the Federation has to make sure that you're okay to, you know, make spaceships and, and start exploring the, uh, the the galaxy." I sort of get that, and, they, and we're seeing it now from from their side of things. But at the same time, what is stopping uh, the Vulcans saying, "Look"? You've got a, a very good engineer. You've got a, a, a good person who's going to be. A, a, looks like he's going to be a good captain. Um, you've got a, you know, a couple of uh, weapons people there. Come aboard our ships. Serve your time above. You know, in our ships for, for maybe a couple of years. Get some experience, and then when you're ready to start flying, you will have an experienced crew that they will have seen some aliens. They will know who to look out for and who not to look out for, and integrate them that way rather than saying you can't go anywhere until you've got mm. one ship. And then we're going to put all your best people in that one ship, and then we will let you slowly go out and meet people. That's not the right way. That's that's just one ship. You could have a whole fleet ready to go with experienced people if you just took them on a training scheme. Yeah, it, it just seems odd that their justification, their, um, because this one thing failed and they were trying too quickly, well, by whose scale? It doesn't make any sense. Like, Why are you saying that there is such a thing as advancing too quickly um and i do like the line from trip saying you know just because it took you 100 years to work it out doesn't mean it yes. take us 100 years to work it out uh, very nice put down there i thought yeah um but unfortunately the nx program does get put on hold because of ag's rash actions um which throws another wrench into the re relationship between jonathan and ag because again it's his father's engine and if they put the kibosh on it he might never see it fly 
uh, AG is pulled in to uh, another uh, assessment of what went wrong. He then put it down to a myriad of different problems, including a lousy engine that uh, Archer's father designed, according to what he says. Um, but Archer and Trip point out, well, surely it could have been pilot error and tries to push it back to him, causing a nice fistfight. Before the fistfight starts, though, Trip does another thing that made me like the character even more. And that's that he took Archer's beer away from the fight so it didn't get thrown on the floor and smashed just so that they can have a nice clean punch up and he looked out for his best mate's beer. And that, for me, sealed Trip as a good character after that. Uh, but any thoughts on the Star Trek punch up, the, 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 the knuckle fight, as it were? Yeah, the old, it has to be done in a bar, doesn't it? You, you, oh, can't, you can't have it anywhere else. Um, yeah, it just missed, it just missed a few people sliding across tables and... and uh, <laughs> Uh, and I must admit, obviously, I'm referring to the um, the, the Tribbles episode, and, and there was something similar in there, wasn't it? Because um, and I forgot the guy's name who sells the Tribbles. <laughs> when there's a fight going on, he moves his drink out of the way, so somebody slides past him on the chair table, whatever it is, you know, all that type of thing. So there's a Lift similarity, the exactly. Absolutely. Oh, no, lose your drink. Um, yeah, I mean, it was a good punch up. It was a bit uh, overly staged, I think. In the, that the if the um, if the stunt guys had uh, had a bit of a word with these guys, there's too much. The legs already recoiled before Archer gets there, so he can kick him away, and it's a bit slow in the in the fight. And there's too much. Somebody gets punched, and then there's, you know, he sort of waits there with his chin stuck out, ready for the <laughs> next punch to hit him. And uh, oh, come on, it's a bit, um, a bit of an old style punch up. This it's not really working. Um, and then it was—it's like right at the end of the fight before the the girl behind the bar says to Trip, "Are you going to get in there and help him?" And he's been watching this fight going on, and then in the end he grabs him. And I—I th I thought when he grabbed him, I thought the AG would swing and give him a punch because Trip's got a hold of him. But that didn't happen. It was obviously somebody grabbed him as well. It was somebody grabbed AG as well and pulled them apart. But um, I do—I did. Oh, it was—it was okay. It sort of set the scene. You know, it, it set, sets everything up. But it was just poorly executed. I thought it was like two old men fighting rather than uh, you know modern day scrap. But, Not yeah. enough Kirk Fu, to be honest. There, there was you know, no double axe handle. Exactly. Uh, you know, there was, yeah. That's the believability we need. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. It would have been better if, if, as it was going on, if Topol had walked in and just neck pinched somebody at the oh, <laughs> put them yes. down straight away. You know. Absolutely. And that was her first day on Earth, and she, you, you know, they never reference it or anything. Just that, remember that Vulcan just walked in and just nerve pinched everyone. That's crazy. Yes. Who was she? Uh, and you know, that would set up future scenes to come in in previous in uh, episodes to come on this season. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, short of you know a guy on a piano uh, playing whilst the the fight is going on, I couldn't think of anything else they could add to that scene. Uh, but speaking of Ruby, speaking of the waitress, she waits uh, a. Uh, was it through one minute and 20 seconds before saying that's enough right they get quite a few punches in before she then tries to break it up uh that's that's pretty uh pretty good going i mean maybe she just wants it for the ambiance you know you know one of the dives you know we don't want too many tourists coming into the pub so a, a fight every week that's great because it just you know brings down the people coming in uh we make do you know we make enough money we don't need extra tourists coming in Exactly. Maybe she should have just brought out, a, you know, like a, pr a plasma rifle from behind the bar. He's gone. Oh. 
<laughs> just shot around into the ceiling just to calm everybody down or something. Yeah. Maybe she learnt it from some Elorian who was hanging around on Earth from the 19th century. <laughs> who, you know, who knows? Um, <laughs> uh, but that scene ends at 23 minutes and 41 seconds. And we come back at 25 minutes and 37 seconds. And the NX ship is still in lockup. Uh, I did like the shot, the CG shot of the ship with the folded wings up. It, again, it put me in, uh, in mind of all the test pilots and all the, you know, the the Mark One and everything, where you see these uh, experimental prototype ships and planes, and they're all folded up. You know, they're 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 put in at the last minute. They're pushed together at the last minute before they are then put out uh, to to be tested. Um, it just it was, just felt more realistic that it would be in a hangar somewhere, all folded up. Um, Archer is packing up. AG is now coming back to him and saying, look, I'm sorry for what I said. And Archer is trying to say the same thing, but he's still, you know, not giving up that last bit of pride. Um, maybe it was an intermix problem, which apparently was something that Trip brought up earlier and possibly is the only thing holding back this entire walk program is that one engineer who noticed the intermix problem. Not a team of engineers, just the one guy. It's pretty crazy that only one guy noticed the problem. Uh, but we then get their conspiratorial plan uh you go up with me and we'll prove it to the vulcans we can fly this thing at warp two uh do you feel that that was a good scene do you feel it was too early that they maybe needed a bit more rivalry or do you feel that they've come to blows now they've had the fight that's it we now need to start keep, you know carrying on with the story as it were yeah it was a bit of a strange one that wasn't it you've just had a fight with somebody who's you know insulted your father and you know, just, said the ship was rubbish and all this type of thing and then next thing next scene boom, they, they are best mates and off they go and even the um the description uh, that obviously uh we'll come to in the future episode when we come when we come to the future part of this of this episode um saying oh oh yes he, he actually saved the program hang on a minute, hang on a minute. He's, he's nearly destroyed it a minute ago now he's saving it and how does he save it well you know he gets on the best terms with the guy he's just been beaten up and, and saying he was rubbish so it's a bit it's a bit quick really but um, yeah it's a 40 minute episode you've got to get these things in, uh, turned around and, but it, it, still, they've still got the bruises on the faces if it had been like a couple of weeks later and it calmed down a bit more rather than just the next day or whatever it was uh, it might have been a bit more believable but it was a bit quick and it, it... It kind of makes sense in the fact that these are you know, flying by the seat of their pants test pilots, so maybe their their emotions are just as quick. You know, they're 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 so easily over a traumatic experience. Uh, maybe that's why they they've reconciled the differences so quickly. But yeah, it, it feels too quick, and maybe that will factor into our ratings criteria later. Uh, but the scene itself does end on one line from AG saying it's time to take some risks. And that ends at 28 minutes and 16 seconds. Now, uh, call back to the previous episode. We had one piece of advice from his father. Uh, it's, Don't be afraid of the wind. Now we're getting a new piece of advice of it's time to take risks. It seems like Archer's being told, take a lot of risks. Please take some risks. And he's still not listening. <laughs> it, it still takes a bit of convincing. You know, it's taken 21 years and he's still not listening to the same piece of advice. Uh, so he's, you know, he, he's able to get over someone insulting his father, but he just takes so long to take a one piece of advice. Very strange. Um, 
uh, look, there's also an allusion to the fact that you won't become captain until you take a few risks as well, which is a nice little bit of uh, you know foreshadowing and and so on. Uh, and the only way you're going to get out into space is if you take a Vulcan with you. That's a pretty precise guess, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> All the things to predict. But there yeah. we go. Um, we come back at 29 minutes and 48 seconds, and we get a bit of Archer's lingering narration from future scenes that we'll come to when we look at First Flight again in its proper rotation. Uh but it was quite nice hearing Scott Bakula, the actor, stepping out of the episode for a second, narrating a scene set in a past, set in his lifetime, because it did make me really think of Quantum Leap. Uh, just yes. hearing him narrate a scene as it's going on, it felt such a Quantum Leap throwback uh, to hear the, the actor talking over uh, what was going on. Um, and we're seeing it unfold as we go. Um, speaking of... Had, had you already known Bakula from Quantum Leap when you first watched Enterprise? Did it sort of take you out of it? or I knew of him. I didn't see many Quantum Leaps. My, my wife did watch a, uh, quite a few of them. Um, I'd seen maybe uh, one or two episodes. So I knew of him. And, and so when he was announced, I knew of him. Um, I had actually met his uh, co-star, Dean Stockwell, whose uh, autograph I have here. That's Jerry Doyle, wasn't it? Dean Stockwell. Um, yeah, uh, so I, I, I met uh, Dean Stockwell at a uh, convention. Oh. So that that's the uh, thing. So it's marked out. Oh. Yeah, oh. I can't see it. Oh no, he's uh, gone again. He's like a hologram <laughs> that only I can see and hear. Oh, there he is. Uh, there, there he is. Just about there. Oh, look at him. There we go. So, so yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I, I met Dean Stockwell, so I knew uh, of Quantum Leap and all that, so I knew of him. But I hadn't seen him in a lot of things. Um, but I think even like in the first episode, uh, um, Broken Bow, and, and obviously as we got into the seasons, instantly he was... I, I knew he was a great actor. He really is, because he, he never looks as though he's acting, um, which is always a good skill. Um, his presence is there he's you know he can, he can command the scene um he's always he's got that rugged look he's been so he's been around a bit mm. and he's you know especially you know for this sort of you know being a captain of a ship and all that there's something you need he was of the right age he wasn't too old so he could do the action scenes and everything so yeah i was more than happy to have him on then that's one of the reasons why i wanted to do the rewatch because i do like him as an actor and I, I like him as a person as well i've seen a few things a few interviews he's been on and um, heard a few people talk about him, and he's, he seems to be a good guy. Yeah, yeah, just a very generous actor. When uh, mm -hmm. whenever you see him talking about a show he's on, whether it's Enterprise, whether it's CSI, whether it's Quantum Leap, he's so generous with talking about everyone else on the cast and deflects away from himself so much that it's you know it's no way he's putting that on. He's not trying to be a nice guy. He just is a nice guy because mm -hmm. that is how he speaks about everyone else and all their contributions first. Um, it, you know, it would take an immense amount of training, I think, to pretend to be that nice. Yes, <laughs> it, yeah, he, he must naturally be that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, he's not that good an actor. <laughs> yeah, he's good, but not that. He's good. good. Not that good. Yeah. yeah. Um, but into the scene itself, uh, we see the hangar. We see the the three amigos, as it were, uh, Trip, Ag, and Jonathan uh, hatch this plan. They are going to launch uh, the NX uh, Beta. So they blew up the Alpha, but now they're going to launch the Beta. And uh, they've gone from one room for mission control to Trip, 
with a small headset and a laptop in a hangar to run the entire mission control as they launch the NX Beta. Um, it seemed a bit weird. If they can do that, why are they not just doing that? It just seems very strange. Um, but uh, one hell of a PC, that must be. Yes. Um, good Wi-Fi as well. <laughs> <laughs> but they they stick two pilots in the ship. Um, they, they have both AG and Jonathan uh, flying the ship, uh, which seems like something they should have done to, uh, no, no, I'm not coming back to that again. Um, but uh, <laughs> they say you're not going to get found out until you pass by New Berlin, which is on the moon at this point, for any non-Star Trek fans listening. Um, but they finally get found out, and Forrest jumps in and sends a couple of red shirts to go and arrest Trip as well. Uh, any thoughts on this whole scene? I mean, it's a long action sequence. It does take some time. Um, but on the whole renewed test flight, you know, the the jeopardy of will they do it won't they do it uh there's some dials that need turning a certain way in order to stop the ship from shaking which if they put a second pilot in wouldn't have happened the first time round. um anything about this scene yeah i think like you, you just mentioned it there i think it's a little bit ridiculous that it only takes one engineer and none of his team at all just but <laughs> just the head engineer uh to allow the ship to 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 leave and then make it look as though it's actually still there by obviously some means of jiggery-pokery on the software to make it look as though it's there, but it's actually halfway to Jupiter. Um, and nobody's bothered to look. <laughs> the, the, the ship's left. We, we've got sensors saying that the ship's left, and it's gone, but it's still in the dock. Have you looked? <laughs> Has anybody looked? Um, I like the fact oh, okay. that they had to go for a nighttime launch to try and hide their efforts. It's like, <laughs> yes. really? No one, everyone's working, working with binoculars. There's no sensors on Earth whatsoever. It's just, you know, yeah. oh, that's fine. But, yeah, but you're out in space. You're not, there's no nighttime as such. <laughs> so, yeah, it was a bit, it was a bit strange. I, when, um, I mean, having said that, I suppose in a few years' time, you'd think they would have sorted all that. Oh, that wouldn't happen again, would it? You wouldn't be stealing ships again, would you? Um, where it would take about you know, like half the crew, you know, seven or eight people inside the ship to actually just press a few buttons and away you go. You don't even need the engineer on the outside. You can just take the ship straight away. Or even some sort of aliens, little small people that speak in ones and zeros. I mean, they could come on the ship and take it without actually needing anybody on the outside. It can all be done from the inside of the ship. So That sounds like an idea for a good episode. There, I might just keep, keep an eye out on that one. Well, yeah. Which which one? Oh, one, oh, one, one, oh, something like that. Yeah, yeah, like, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll get there. Yeah, yeah, it's all binary. It's fine. <laughs> It'll either work or it won't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a very Star Trekky scene. I think the whole action piece of it is that you know, obviously, it's going to work. You know, they're telling the story in retrospect. We're sitting on a warp five ship, um, and again, jumping out these scenes. There is a moment with the pole who even points this out. You know, well, obviously you're sitting right here. So what's going on? Yes. Why is there this false jeopardy? Um, so it does feel like, well, we're just going through the motions. And there are sometimes, thinking about Enterprise in general, where I do come across that. And I really hope that rewatching the show changes my mind on that. But there are sometimes some episodes where it just feels like mm, this is this is what we've always done. This is what every series has done before the action scene that has to have that set outcome that we know is coming, but we're going to go through the motions anyway. Um, but overall, 
I thought it was fun. I thought it was all right. Um, I do like the idea that um, all that went wrong last time was these two dials that AG has to twist in a certain <laughs> way and just hold until the warp drive bubble is fixed for some reason in the intermix ratio. Um, and that's all. That's all that really needed to happen. Uh, if they just had, you know, a couple of uh, you know, stands with, you know, clamps on the side holding them in position, <laughs> that's all they needed to fix their problem. Um, but uh, they're pulled into the office again. The Vulcans are there, and they're giving them a talking down to. What do you think you were thinking? Even though they've brought, they've broken the barrier. They've, they've sustained a flight at two point five. They showed that it was working, and. Archer comes up with what we were mentioning earlier. You know, uh, who says it's your call to make that we're going too fast and that we uh, should hold back, hold ourselves back? My father says, you know, what the hell would we have been waiting for? Why are we not out in space? Um, and I kind of feel like that's the line where he's finally listened to that advice from 21 years of being told to take risks, and he's finally then won his captaincy. I think that's the line. When Forrest hears it, you can kind of see it in his face. This is the captain for a future Warp 5 vessel. Um, any thoughts on them being talked down to? No, that's, I think you've nailed it there. Yeah, it's it's absolutely right. The, the look on Archie, uh, I'm sorry, on uh, Forrest's face when uh, when Archie says that, you, you can see that he's, you know, yeah, you know, he totally agrees with them. He's stuck being an admiral, so he, he can't. He's got to be a little bit more politically correct. But yeah, really, he's going. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, come on, let's do this. Let's... <laughs> come on, Archer. So, go on. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's um, no, it is a good scene. I like that. And it is the, the, the yeah, who? It's not your right. With all due respect, it's not your call either. You know. It's, mm-hmm. And the, the, the Vulcans goes oh, and looks at Archer. Uh, looks at Forrest as if he's going to say, "Look, yeah, you tell him." <laughs> and he doesn't. So, yeah, yeah, it's a good, it's a good, it's good. And and the two of them, you know, the the, the two the two pilots there, AJ and, and Archer, are, are, you know, you can see Archer's just sort of stood there taking it all, you know, waiting for his moment to speak. And he, you know, he's getting all this abuse, and you know, you can't, you should have done this, blah blah blah. And then and he just lets rip and, and let's go. And says, right, you know, we're ready to go. So let's go. But. Uh... That scene ends at 37 minutes, zero seconds. But, huh, okay. Um, the device seems to be putting me in a new time frame. Uh, you have to skip ahead to uh, season four, actually. So reset your timers to season three, episode two of this podcast, but season four, episode five of Enterprise at 49 seconds, just after a recap. And we see someone who looks a little bit like... Dr. Noonien's son, or, or perhaps a, a, a Sung-type android, maybe. Um, but he's, he looks quite young, and uh, he's talking to a bunch of kids in a strange sort of lab, perhaps, or, or almost looks like a condo on a beach. Very strange. Uh, talking about how augments are feared by humans, and they always will be, uh, because they see them as uh, something else, something different to humans, and they will always fear you, and they're always going to come after you. But don't worry, your mission is to wake up other people, uh, some other comrades, other augments, as it were, and that will be your mission. Hmm, very strange. Uh, and that seems to be set in 2143, according to this chronometer. Uh, and then we come and finish at at 2 minutes and 16 seconds. Then they don't go straight away. And um, stepping out the scenes, there are some more scenes with T'Pol and Archer where they explain that there is a pretty sizable gap between 
what goes on in Enterprise for the rest of the series and what we've just seen. Uh, and if you put it all together, uh, it was three months suspension for Jonathan and AG, plus another eight months uh, of more of the program as they were pushing into Warp 3, Warp 4, one year uh, of actually running those tests and then actually showing that that was possible. And then five years later, they were laying the keel for Enterprise, the NX-01. So in total, just over seven years before they finally get out to space. Um, but like you say, he is the captain and he, he sort of won Forest Round, even if he hasn't convinced the Vulcans. Um, we get that time jump. So we've uh, come from that year and we are now jumping to 2149 for the next scene. At 39 minutes and 28 seconds, we see AG and Archer having another drink at the 602 Club. No fisticuffs this time. And uh, he says that you're the first skipper of the Enterprise and one lucky SOB. Uh, can't even swear. I mean, that seems very, very unlikely. A military man who doesn't swear in a club, in a bar that's fill, filled with military guys. Very unlikely for me to, to ever hear SOB. I've heard a lot worse from, from some very salty maritime people. Don't forget, this is the Federation. They've got rid of all of the wars. They've got rid of all of the, yeah, oh, the need for you know, um, you know, medical um, reasons. You know, they've got rid of all of those. So I'm sure they can get rid of swearing as well. Uh, uh, I don't know. That that sounds like a roll fist being with me. I don't know. <laughs> um, but, but don't, uh, you, think, yeah. don't you, don't you think this scene is nine years later and Archer doesn't look a day over the, you know, the age that he was in the last scene? Because <laughs> I was thinking this. I was watching it that... thinking he looks the same age as he is actually flying the ship. So, you know, in the future. So, you know, I think, well, okay, well, how long ago was this? And then it, you work it out and you say it's about eight years or so. And then he's got to fly the ship. And, and, you know, so there's a good ten years there that, that seems to be from the start of the, the thing. To the, and he hasn't aged a bit. They didn't bother de-aging him to make him look younger for those scenes. <laughs> it's all that warp travel. You know, it, it takes years <laughs> off you. Light years, yes, in fact. Um, and it just makes you look good. It's great for the skin. Um, yeah. And uh, it's obviously once, done the Vulcans you, a wonder. Exactly. Once you go to, close to the speed of light, you know you you age young, you, know, you age less, don't you? So or you age yeah. slowly. So by the time he's done a few trips to Jupiter and back, you know he's probably got you know another ten years on him. Science. Yeah. There we go. Bang on. <laughs> um, we uh, then get another toast to the fact that Ag says he's going to be the second skipper. He's in fact going to be the first skipper of the NX-02 and let Jonathan make all the mistakes. Uh, now that did feel like uh, proper sort of troopers uh, egging each other on, having a bit of a go, teasing each other. Um, so you might not be able to swear, but teasing hasn't been sorted by the 22nd century. Uh, and this whole scene ends with, I'll see you out there. Very melancholy. I'm not entirely sure why. We'll have to see the, the rest of this episode in the future. Uh, but it says, I'll see you there. And the music plays this very sad and sweet melody at 40 minutes and 48 seconds. And that's it. That is all the scenes from First Flight. Anything more on uh, AG and uh, wanting to be the next captain of the NX-02 and let Jonathan make all the mistakes? I thought that was... Uh... A nice little dig, but at the same time, in some respects, quite true. Because obviously, if you're going to be the prototype, if you're going to be the first one, 
it's like buying a new car there's a new model it's a new shape and it's the first time they've ever done it and you drive it out thinking oh, it's great I've got one of the first people to drive this type of car it's great and then it breaks down and they go ah yes well okay we'll fix that for the next one whoa whoa whoa, whoa. hang on don't fix it for this one <laughs> don't let it break down in the first place so yeah so the guy who gets the second car gets all the bug signed out of it so yeah it's the same thing with this I mean he might get a safer ride and all that but Archie will have had a few years of experience of flying around the galaxy by then, so yeah, swing it around about. Well, that was it for locating in our LCARS system. We're moving on to C. Now, C, uh, when there's time travel, uh, is for continuity, but C in this case is for consequences, because there's not been any time travel. We've seen history play out as it happened, uh, according to Archer, anyway. And are there any consequences in any of these scenes that you feel would have a knock-on effect for Starfleet. Well, the biggest one, obviously, is that is they manage to advance uh, to the the, the 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 warp five ship, so they can then get out in the next seven years, and instead of waiting for the Vulcans for another, could have been twenty, thirty, forty, hundred years, whatever. So yes, the, the, there's a consequence there um, the, of this thing. However, we do see in the future that these two don't seem to be credited with the first flight of the ship. So. <laughs> There's no consequence there because to Paul says, but in your history, it makes no mention of uh, you know, of this guy or you know, or of you taking this ship out. It's obviously been, they've obviously been wiped off the uh, the slate and you know, it's all been swept <laughs> under the uh, under the carpet. So it doesn't really have a knock-on effect in that respect. He, he has no fame or glory for it. Um, he's obviously the first uh, person to fly uh, a Warp Five ship and, and you know called Enterprise as well is Archer, but you know. That's the only consequence we've got there, really. Very true, yeah. I mean, the advantage of having this device to, to watch uh, history on, and so I could send you the timestamps and so on, so forth, it means I get to see history that doesn't even get recorded. So it's always good. Yeah. Um, the whole scene, really, just the, the consequence of uh, what they were doing, even though they don't get credited for it, it does kind of set a precedent, I think, for the idea of officers going rogue and getting results in the end. I don't know who that might influence in the future. Maybe a future captain or two. I don't know. Uh, but I do like that there's now a set precedent straight away, before even the NX-01 has been flying, that captains tend to go rogue and get results. So maybe that will play into future episodes. Who knows? Um, but yeah, as far as consequences, yes, they've advanced. They've, they've made sure that the NX program goes ahead. So without it, there would not be any Starfleet program maybe uh, it would have been completely grounded and maybe it would be a future captain who's remembered as the first captain of whatever ship it was going to be mm -hmm. um, so yeah consequences there are some but we don't know yet what that might mean uh, so we move on to our next ratings criteria and that is alterations things you'd like to see expanded perhaps uh, delved more deeply into or changed completely are there any changes you would want to make or alterations? Um, I think this harks back to last week's episode, which we recorded, saying about Archer's father. Maybe there could have been some scenes in here with him showing the struggle of trying to get the ship to, to run and, and to, you know, to, to go and what have you. Um, maybe sort of interspersed or maybe put earlier just to give it a bit of uh, context. If they didn't put it in the Broken Bow episode, then they could have put it in here. Um other than that, I think um, the fight scene could have done with a little bit sort of better timing. Um, 
<laughs> maybe some inclusion of some Vulcan nerve pinches, but other than that, I don't think there's really much you could do. Maybe put a few more crew members in the in the you know, um, when they were taking the ship, and, and maybe get some more co-conspirators in there to make it look as though it needed a few more people to fly this thing. <laughs> um, but no, other than that, I think it I think it works okay as it is. I don't think there's much really that we could uh, we could alter uh, other than the aesthetics. Yeah, I'm yeah. uh, um, similar in that that. The fight choreography, yes, I think there could have been a bit more of a fight going on there. Perhaps if they wanted to tell a bigger story here and show the entire NXL01 program, um, as it were, or the, the, at least the, the the test flight for Warp 2, have all of the engineers get onto Jonathan and AG's side and, you know, been running all of Mission Control. Um, you know, some you know, funny scenes of them locking the Vulcans out and they can't get through the door and they've reinforced it because they know the Vulcans are a bit stronger so they've reinforced the door and they've welded like bits of pipes or something to the door or something you know make it more of a comedy element to it that they've they've got the Vulcans they've outwitted the Vulcans with very silly stupid ideas uh, just to really drive home this whole idea that humans will engineer a solution when met with different problems whether it's the captain of a future starship or whether it's the guy who's fixing the nuts and bolts uh, and you know, make it so that Trip is not running the entire operation from a laptop. I think that would probably be my biggest alteration to make. Just so, just so it makes it more believable. Um, and, and have the red shirts, uh, maybe, you know, uh, one of them, not necessarily die, but at least get, you know, punched in the face to, to set a new precedent. Yes. That red shirts always get hit. Yeah. You know, something like that. I, uh, I like the idea of something... running the whole thing off a laptop. Just, you could have just, like, run over to the laptop, opened it up, fired it up, only to find Windows is updating. No! <laughs> <laughs> There's a bit more jeopardy there. Just waiting, just waiting for this update. I've got to reboot, I've got to reboot. <laughs> It's the circle of doom. Why? And it's just ticking over. Uh, that would be good. <laughs> I want to see that scene now. I really do want to see that scene. Um, yeah. So alterations. I think uh, other than a few trims or things, I'm not going to say I'm going to change anything. But I would have loved to have had more scenes. Perhaps see uh, Henry Archer. You know, not write it that he died before getting to see the uh, the engine. That he actually saw it all the way up to launch. And you know, have him brought in and answering to the Vulcans, just so that we would have had another character to explore, someone we've already seen from Broken Bow, who permeates throughout all of Enterprise. Um, I would have seen, loved to have seen more of that. Unfortunately, we just don't get time to do that. Um, so, moving on from alterations, we move on to recommendations. And as always, there is two strands to this. Our first is to the Star Trek fans. Are these scenes, the ones we are just discussing, uh, important to Star Trek fans? I think they're important to Star Trek fans of Enterprise. Um, as you say, there's there's a couple of continuity problems here, um, uh, and maybe a bit late the, the, the um, previous episode as well. Uh, when do we actually go to meet people, and who do we meet first? Has that not been mentioned before in other episodes? Maybe uh, it could be a bit of an issue there, but. Um, certainly, I think it's it's necessary for everybody to watch it because it gives you that um, uh, the the context of how the ship was first came about and uh, you know, how we we managed to beat the uh, the Vulcans into submission, uh, how Archer got his command, 
uh, and gives his command a bit more of a gravitas as well. He earned his his way into that chair and not just given it because his father designed the chip and well, designed the the warp drive, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So yeah, I think it's a necessary one for people to watch. Yeah, um, I would go with that. I would actually say it is important to Star Trek fans uh, in general because I, I'm a big fan of uh, procedure, but also seeing sort of how things come to be. And the idea that there is this whole NX program, there is a whole raft of astronauts that we don't really know much about. You know, we learn about AG in this episode, but what about all of the other guys? What about the other list of uh, heroes who didn't go into the NX program, didn't advance any further, but maybe they had something else to say? Now, I know we learned their names later, and we'll find out when we watch this episode in the future, but to know more about them, to have seen the wider picture... Um, I'm not a big fan of everything must be turned into a book, but I would love to have had the NX diaries, you know, get to know the program like the Mercury program, like the Apollo program from NASA days, but have a fictional version of it. What was it like to be those first astronauts testing these equipment that had never been seen before and never been tried before? Um, yeah, I think you have to see these scenes as a Star Trek fan to get that depth, to understand how dangerous space was at the beginning. So, yeah. for me, I would. I think you're right. And I think if we just go back to alterations as well, maybe mm. one alteration that I would have liked because I tend to be the person who likes timelines to run as timelines and not flashbacks, I would have liked to have seen this as the second episode or the first yeah. episode and then yeah. so you build up into how he gets the ship, then he gets the ship, and then off we go. Rather than flashback to it in the second season because they didn't think maybe it would go past the first season or whatever, um, I, I, that's my that's my niggle. I always like to see, see things in the in, in the time you know in the proper timeline. Um, but no, I mean it's fine. They've addressed the, they've addressed it, so yeah, we're okay. Yeah. Uh, to non Star Trek fans, do you feel that these scenes, as are with no uh, extra? Um, uh, background given by watching the entire episode to non-star trek fans do you feel that this is part of the the brainwashing kit yes i think it is i think it's a good um lead into the series if they get like i say if they'd had this at the beginning uh, and led with this and uh, to non-star trek people it would have made sense that this is how we got the ship in the first place rather than leaving it too far down the line uh, to, to show it but if you were to show this episode first you could get away with it and then go back to Broken Bow and then work your way through that way. It might actually, uh, it, it might actually work that way. But yes, I think non-Star Trek people would appreciate it uh, as a origins piece, if you like. Yeah, uh, I'm coming from the exact same point. Um, it's you have to kind of fill in some blanks, so you'd have to again go back to alterations and maybe fill in a bit more. But if this were just purely a uh, you know a scene of Archer sitting in his ready room. Uh, doing a log, he gets the call about AG, I'm not going to go into more spoilers uh, before we watch the episode and then goes down a, a trip to memory lane, and maybe not with certain characters, maybe with different characters on the crew, and he just recounts what was it like being the first astronauts and it's just a nice little background story with a badly choreographed fight scene and a few other things as well, uh, but yeah it, it works as a concept and I like that concept, and I think to someone who isn't familiar with Star Trek Give them the background. Say, look, this is where they started. Now you can appreciate why we are going out into space and why we are going boldly off into the stars. So, yep, I completely agree. 
So it's always good to know. <laughs> right. Good. Yes. Well, that was it. Thank you so much, Paul, uh, for being the guest this week. Uh, now, I'm thinking about next week, and I think you might be in for that one as well. Quite, quite possibly. Quite possibly. <laughs> yes. I think you've got the you've got the trifecta. Three episodes in one run. This is great. Um, but, hat trick. Yay. <laughs> but it's getting quite late here, so I'm not going to force you to stay and record that one. We are going to record on another night. But thank you so much, Paul. Um, just to remind the listeners about Cosmic Pizza, uh, where can they find you and uh, how can they listen? Yeah, you can find the Cosmic Pizza podcast uh, on the ESO network, which is uh, a good way of finding it. We are there with a lot of a lot of other um, geeky uh, type of podcasts that, that have all different range of things. Um, our little podcast sits there. Yeah, just click on the uh, the link. It's esonetwork.com. Um, and you can find our, uh, pretty much all of our episodes at the moment are on there. Um, and you can, if you have any, um, if you want to be on the episode or if you have any ideas that we could we could use for the Cosmic Pizza podcast or for future episodes, uh, we have a, an email address. That's uh, cosmicpizzapodcast at gmail.com. Um, and, yeah, I think that's... Uh, pretty much we're on we're on all sorts of other bits we're on twitter and we're on uh all these antiquated things called tiktok and all sorts of stuff like that aren't we instagram and all of them but yeah the best way to get us is through our facebook page or through um as i say get us an email to uh, uh cosmic peter podcast at gmail.com I am looking into getting it reformatted so I can run it on the holodeck because I think, you know, um, we, I'm sure we can get podcasts into the future at some point. Uh, and we'll, I'll, I'll be listening, so don't worry. I will be listening. Yeah, yeah um, I mean, when you've got a ship the size of a planet and you've got, like, you know, all the memory storage, I mean, a couple of little audio files here and there and nothing, really. I'm sure it'll be nice and easy, nice and straightforward. No, there won't be any audacity or anything like that to deal with, so I'm sure it'll be very easy. Um Thank you again, Paul, for, for being my guest. Uh, so all remains is for me to set up the next episode. So join us next time as we are going back to the beginning of Enterprise in Broken Bow, the pilot episode. And uh, we are going to start at timestamp 0 minutes and 45 seconds as we go to Broken Bow, Oklahoma. And all remains is thank you for listening, and I'll see you in the next time stream. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Please remember to like, subscribe and review wherever you listen to it. If you would like to be a guest in the future or give feedback, you can contact me by either searching for the Temporal Trek Podcast Facebook page or find me on Twitter at Rider underscore Coattail. Also search the Temporal Trek Podcast. You can also find me on Instagram at Daniel underscore Hitch underscore Writer. All the timestamps for the show can be found at ridingcoattails.simplesite.com. The scripted elements of the show are a work of pure fan fiction, and any views and opinions expressed in the episode discussions are my own or that of the guest. They do not reflect the rights holders of Star Trek. Any Star Trek sound effects or music are used under the terms of fair use and are not my own work. The intro music, Birthright by Audio Binger, is royalty-free from the Free Music Archive. Check out their work and others at freemusicarchive.com. The Temple Trek is a free podcast with no Patreon or sponsorship. However, if you would like to support the show, you can find my books by searching Daniel Peter Hitch on Amazon. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you in the next time stream.